So, perfect last song there, Ratio. It's what we've been talking about, right? Um, Psalm 117. Yes, I'm going to use it as my springboard once again. And of course, the word for Lord there is Yahweh. Every time you see the word Lord in all caps, that is what is being said. So, Yahweh, Yahweh, we praise the Lord. Who knew, right? Karen, uh, she said, what are you preaching today? I said, what, what do you think I'm preaching? She said, are you still preaching 117, Psalm 117? I said, yes, I am. She was very excited. Uh, she said, well, you're really beating that to death, aren't you? And, um, but really what I'm trying to do is tease out what it really means to praise God. It means so much more than us coming to church and mouthing words. We, I know you guys know this. I, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know. But this will be the fifth sermon as we tease out the meaning of praising God. Now, what do I mean when I say tease out? What, is, what do you think that means? I think you obviously know what it means. Uh, those of you who have hair, sometimes you have a tangle and you have to tease it out, right? But really, in the sense that I'm using it, it's simply to more fully examine, okay? That's what I mean when I say we're teasing out Psalm 117, to more fully examine what's under the words and in the words and what should flow out of the words, right? Not just simply reading the words. Praise Yahweh, all nations, laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of Yahweh is everlasting. Praise Yahweh. Three times. Yahweh, right? Three times. Two verses. Yes, it's the middle chapter in the Bible. Yes, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible, and we're continuing to work through all of the inferences that can be drawn from this mighty little chapter. So by way of review, just want to bring everybody up to speed. When God calls us to praise Him, what is He calling us to do? Thank you, Adu. To enjoy Him. This is probably new to some of you unless you've been here the last three or four weeks. This is what it means. To truly praise God in the way that the Bible is talking about, come and enjoy me. Know me. Delight in me. It's what is being said. We know, C.S. Lewis teaches us, that praise is the consummation of joy. Praise flows unbidden from our regenerate hearts, right? We don't have to conjure it up. It's in there. It's just the consummation and climax of conversion. That's what praise is. Again, by way of review, Jesus is our greatest pleasure. He is our highest treasure. We are unapologetically known as Christian hedonist, meaning we understand our created purpose to delight in God. And nothing competes with that. Ultimately, nothing competes with that. If we're thinking rightly, obviously if we're born again and we're thinking rightly, nothing competes with the joy 
that we have in God. So as we've looked at Psalm 117, um, in the context of worship, yes, we are fierce in praise. Context of obedience, yes, we are fierce in walking with the Lord. In the context of persecution, yes, we are fierce in the trial. So let me just define the word fierce. I realize I'm, I'm five sermons into this and I haven't really defined it. I think you know what it means, but here are the words that I'm trying to communicate when I use the word fierce. I'm trying to communicate that our faith and our praise and our worship and our walk with God is intense. It's not apathetic. It's not when I have time. It is intense. It is relentless. Our pursuit of God, our delight in God, our obedience of God is relentless. It is extreme. This is another word, another synonym. It is extreme. Our pursuit of God and our obedience to Him, it's extreme. And this one I love. It's undomesticated. Our faith cannot be domesticated, right? This is what Christian, this is what pseudo-Christian religion does, right? It's a domesticated kind of faith. Well, we really do fit in the world. We really do get the world. We really like the world. That's a domesticated kind of faith. Wrong. We are undomesticated in the way that we know, love, and follow God. We are undomesticated. There's a fierceness to it. This is the point that I am trying to make when I use that word. We saw it last week. It's not a question of if we will suffer persecution. It's a question of when. And I challenged each of you. God says your persecution is coming. Many of you are young. You may not have experienced it yet. But let me just affirm to you and assure you that God is telling you the truth. It will come. And God expects you to be ready. He expects you to be prayed up. And he expects you to respond in a way that brings glory and honor to him. I, I don't know if I said this last week. I don't recall. But I think the verses we looked at last week should be part of our evangelism, right? You remember what we talked about? Uh, Matthew 5, Acts 14, John 15, 1 Peter 4, 2 Timothy 3 which says you will be hated, you will be insulted, you will be falsely accused, you will be persecuted. I think we should put this into our evangelism. We wouldn't have as many false professions of faith. You wouldn't have as many uh, brain dead, heart dead church members sitting in, in the pews, right? If we put this into our evangelism. Oh, by the way, yes, Jesus Christ is offering salvation, but you will be persecuted for it. How many times have you heard this? You don't ever hear this. But God says it will happen. It cannot not happen. I think we should begin to put this into our evangelistic appeals. I love how American preacher Randy Alcorn talks about the truly converted. I love this. This is one of my favorite things I've ever read from a theologian. He says, you know, in meeting Jesus Christ, oh, guess what? Nothing will ever be the same again. Amen. Nothing will ever be the same again. And then he goes on to say, how does he say it? Nor do we ever want it to be the same again. You can't go back. You don't want to go back. You know, that's, that would be like Lazarus going back into the tomb. We don't go back. We're not going back to death. We've died to death. Amen. We've died to death. We are now embracing 
the life that God has given. There are no backward glances. I like this, this thought. There are no backward glances to true conversion. We don't have some ro romanticized uh, view of what it was like before Christ. We know exactly what it was like. And we don't ever want to go back. Let me give you another famous uh, quote of mine. Uh, it, it's from uh, Casting Crowns. It's in one of their songs. The song is entitled, To Know You. They sing, to know you, to know Christ, is to ache for more than the ordinary. To know you is to look beyond the temporary. I love, this. I love these lyrics. I love these lyrics. This is Psalm 117, right? This is Psalm 117. This is the heart of Psalm 117. To know you is to ache for more than the ordinary. Of course I praise God. Right? I, of, course I, of course I praise Yahweh. To know you is to look beyond the temporary. You know, I'm transcendent in my worldview. When I wake up in the morning, it's not just about being physically here. It's about where I'm headed, right? We are aliens and exiles. This is a sojourn. For us, we can't live like the world anymore. It's just too small. And in all honesty, I hope you've discovered this. It's just not that interesting as compared to Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's something I say to you all the time. Um, as Spurgeon said, the true believer is spoiled for this world. We are spoiled for this world. What is he saying? Yes, we, we are thankful for all the blessings and the good things God puts into our life, right? We are thankful for that. But as compared to Jesus, it's not in the same universe. It, compared to Jesus, it's wholly inconsequential. So we know the truth. The truth is, is Jesus. He has set us free. We are irrevocably redeemed. In God, and nothing can separate us from Him. So yes, real lovers of Christ, we get Psalm 117. We are fierce in worship. We are fierce in obedience. We are fierce in trial. And tonight I want to talk about uh, another thing, a fourth thing. We are fierce in expectation. Which is just really another way to say what? We're fierce in our believing we believe God can deliver. We really believe He can deliver, right? We really believe this. This is not theoretical for us. We believe God can deliver. And, and, and so the word came to me, right? We are extreme in our expectations of what God has said and what He will do as we walk in faith. I, I just love the word expectations. I, I, I use the word sometimes anticipation. I don't, think, I don't think as Christians we think enough about the, or we don't anticipate all that God has for us in a way that pleases God. I think we get so, you know, engrossed in the immediate that we're not, we just don't spend enough time thinking about what has been offered to us and promised to us. Anticipation, expectation. So we are fierce in our believing of what God has said. Why? Because none can stay our Father's hand. As the Bible says, none can turn back the outstretched arm of Jehovah God.
God, we can do all He says because He will do all He says. You know, this is one of my favorite mantras, right? We can do everything He says. Everything He calls us to do, we can do it because He will do all He says. I love that. We can believe God is big as He has promised and the Bible is bursting with God-sized promises. We can expect God to show up in our faith and in our obedience. If it's real with us, it will be spilling out into our lives. It's something that I say to you all the time. <clears throat> it's not about how awesome our faith is. It's about how awesome our God is. So if you're living your Christianity small, um, it's a kind of, it's kind of a, you know, training wheel Christianity, right? Kind of a training wheel Christianity, a Christianity of low expectations. I really don't expect God to show up. I really don't expect God to be faithful in this circumstance. I really don't expect God to satisfy my soul in this grief and in this loss. I really don't. I really don't expect. It's, it's, it's low expectations. Again, it's, it's pseudo-Christianity. But we can't live it small. We won't live it small. It's Hebrews 11.6. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. Jim, not Hebrews 11 again. <laughs> but it's always Hebrews 11, right? What does Hebrews 11 teach us? Who knows? What is, that, what is that great chapter about? It's about what? Faith. It's about faith. And how are we saved? By going to church. Oh, that's not right. How are we saved? By being baptized or being confirmed. Oh, that's not right. How are we saved? Tell me, by what? By faith. This is why I always end up in Hebrews 11. We are saved by faith. It's important we understand how God defines it and how God illustrates it. If you're not intimate with Hebrews 11, you've done yourself a huge disservice. You need to know this chapter. So critique me if you will. Yes, Jim, you've referenced Hebrews 11 uh, many, many times in this pulpit. Yes, I have. And yes, I will continue to do so because you and I both need to understand what is being said there. God not only is, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. I love how the King James translates Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not Seen. Christian faith is not ethereal. It's not Pollyanna. It's not rose-colored glasses. God is the substance of things hoped for. This is how I would say it. And God is the evidence of things not seen. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in God. We have extreme expectations about how God will use us and then reward us. Amen? We have extreme expectations. We have um, intense expectations. We have fierce expectations of how God will use us if we'll simply believe. If we'll simply believe and show up. And we're going to talk about a few guys 
today that, that from the Bible, you know the stories. I'm just going to remind you, these guys showed up. I'm just going to ask you, are you showing up at the university? Are you showing up in your home with your family? Are you showing up with your friends? Are you showing up in the neighborhood? Are you showing up? Beloved, we get to believe awesome things. We get to believe them and they're true. <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we get to believe awesome things because our God has spoken them to us. So tonight, I thought we would take just a few minutes and look at how and look at the, uh, yeah, the intense expectations of a few men in the Bible. How they really believed. How they believed God fiercely. And how they walked with Him. These are beautiful, beautiful stories. This is implicit in Psalm 117. It's what, it's what, it's what the Lord... Praise me in your expectations, right? Praise me in your expectations. And I have a, confess a confession to make. It's like, there's some things that I I've shared with you that well up in me. I it, it embarrasses me personally before God that I still have to deal with some, some fears and anxieties that well up in me. I mean, I'm disciplined enough to know how to preach them down, but it's... it's uh, it's embarrassing that I have to even continue to talk to the Lord about these things. But he's teaching me to replace, anytime the fear or anxiety comes, to replace it with extreme expectation. <laughs> right? That's what we're going to look at tonight. The extreme expectation that we see in the Bible from those who believed God. Men and women who were fierce and who believed and who acted. I just want to start, I just want to start this way. Philippians 4.13. You know what the Apostle Paul says. I can do just about anything or I can do almost all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. You know that I did not get that right. This is a, this is a man who had extreme expectations, right? I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. How many of you really believe it? Then why are you still entertaining these mediocre expectations? And I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I hate that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having open hands in every circumstance and allowing God to be God and God to be glorified in your circumstance and that everybody can see it. And even if nobody sees it, it's going on in your heart, right? That's what matters. It's going on in your heart. And if it's going on in your heart, if you have anybody in your orbit, they will see it. They will see it. They will, exceed, they will see your extreme expectations. <laughs> Why do we have extreme expectations? Because our God is awesome.
awesome, right? He doesn't just say this stuff to say it. He doesn't just make these promises to look good. He means for you to believe them, and he means for you to live them. So how about you? Think about your own life as we look at some of these examples. First of all, obviously, we need to look at Abraham, the father of faith. Uh, he was a man of, yeah, extreme expectation. We talked a little bit about him a few weeks ago. I'm not going to go into it to any large degree, but I want us to remember something. God made him a promise that Messiah, that the seed, the promised child, would come through Abraham. And Abraham believed, right? And it was reckoned to him as what? It's how he was saved. It's how he was saved. When I, when I use the word extreme expectation, it's simply another way to talk about faith. He was saved by faith. It's what the Bible tells us in Genesis 15. Abraham was saved by faith. Yes, he and his barren wife would have a miracle child. And Genesis 15, 6 tells us that Abraham believed in God. It doesn't say Abraham believed there was a God. It said Abraham believed in God. There's a huge difference here. You know, I run into people all the time in my line of work who say they believe, I believe in God. So what? Almost everybody does. Every thinking person believes in God. There has to be an adequate first cause. There has to be, right? The text says Abraham believed in him. So that's, what I want. that's the challenge for you and me tonight, right? Do you believe in him? Do you believe he'll show up in faith? Do you believe he will? Abraham did. He believed that the miracle child would come, and he believed in the Messiah that would come through that child. So here's the caveat I always extend to you. I'm not talking about believing facts and giving mental assent to doctrine. I'm talking about believing in such a way that everything changes. This is, this is the definition of biblical faith. It's not, is my doctrinal statement pristine? It's that, have I died to death? Have I come out of the tomb? Am I seeing God? Am I hearing God? Am I loving God? Am I delighting in God? Am I, get, am I getting victory over sin? Am I becoming progressively holy? Am I, am, I, am, I be, am I becoming progressively fearless? In my obedience? It's Psalm 117. This is what real praise looks like. <laughs> okay? There you go, Karen. Take that. It's Psalm 117. It's a change of heart, change of mind, change of desire, change of affection, change of direction, change of destiny, change of expectation. It's the kind of believing that saves a soul. It's the kind of believing that justifies us before a holy God. 
our lives are open to every single breathtaking promise God has made. You know, sometimes people say, they'll say to me, well, Jim, you know, I'll quote something in the Old Testament. Well, Jim, that's an Old, that's an Old Testament promise. It's for God's people. And if you are born again, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are God's people. Obviously, there's some unique promises to Israel. But the spiritual ones belong to us as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm just going to start with Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. I'm just going to throw it in right here. But now, says the Lord your God, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Why are you afraid? Why do you shrink back? Why do you grow anxious? I have to ask myself these things sometimes. Lord God, forgive me. I'm yours. I'm yours. Beloved, do you see why it's important to be in the Word of God every day? <laughs> right? We've got all of these huge promises that sometimes we simply forget. Let me continue. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. God says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. We can be fierce in our expectations because of the way God speaks to us. He is our creator, our redeemer, our protector, and our savior. Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed in Yahweh. And I'm challenging you to do the same thing. I'm challenging you to put down your mediocre expectations. Listen, don't you really want God to use you up on this planet? Don't you really want that? Or, or do you want something so utterly boring and pathetic as, I'll just say it this way because I'm an American, the American dream. How boring is that? Right? How boring is that? Don't you really want, as a Christian, don't you really want to lead an extraordinary life of faith? Don't you really want that at the end of the day? More than anything else, isn't that what you want? I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't care about anything else. I don't care. And I've got miles to go. But I, I can open my hands before God and... and, and genuinely say that's what that's what Karen and I want that's what we want we just want to finish well that's all we care about finishing well making much of Jesus believing and you know having those extreme expectations that's all I want that's all we want Abraham believed <laughs> and Messiah came through the miracle Child, you guys know the story of Moses. Um, yeah, God appeared to him. Moses wasn't too keen at first in uh, obeying the Lord, but uh, God convinced him. God convinced him. 
And God used Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. Again, it wasn't about Moses' resume. It was about God's resume. Our God does whatever he pleases in heaven and earth. He doesn't always call us to a fair fight, does he? It wasn't a fair fight. Moses and his staff against Pharaoh, the most, the most powerful nation in that part of the world at that time, it was Moses and his staff. Oh, wait. Someone, oh, God was with Moses. <laughs> Extreme expectations. You don't go stand in front of Pharaoh with a stick in your hand, if you don't have extreme expectations of your God, you don't do that. You don't do that. Moses obeyed the Lord. And you know this, beloved. Those of you who've lived long enough as regenerate Christians, God will bring you to the thing you can't do without Him. He's going to bring you to it. He's going to bring you to the thing you can't do without him. Moses couldn't obviously do it without him. Abraham, couldn't, Abraham and Sarah couldn't do it without him. He will bring you to the place. And he will call you to the place where you cannot go forward without God. You remember Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. The Exodus Jews came up against the impregnable city of Jericho, right? What did God say to them? You know the story. God says, well, yeah, okay. Really all I need for you to do is show up. Yeah, go ahead, march around, chant a little bit, blow some horns. Like that really matters. What is that about? Well, that's just about, that's just about practical obedience. It's just practical obedience, right? God didn't need them to do any of that. It's just practical obedience. God said to do it, so we'll do it. All they really were doing was showing up in obedience. The walls came down. Right? Extreme expectations. Extreme expectations. This is Psalm 117. Your life is praising God through extreme expectations. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go into it, but Karen and I have seen these things. We have seen things like this happen, not the walls of Jericho, but we've seen extreme things happen. That didn't make a lot of sense. Except that God's God and He does whatever He pleases, right? He does whatever He pleases. How about Gideon? One of my favorite accounts, you guys know I've preached on Gideon a lot. I haven't preached it in a while because I hammered it for so long. Judges chapter 6 and 7. Gideon wasn't too keen at the outset, but he took this whimpering farmer and he gave him extreme expectations. Right? And uh, he took his 300 guys, outnumbered 450 to 1. And God, all they had to do was show up. They just showed up. Again, here we go. They just showed up. And God routed the enemy. One of my favorites, probably one of your favorites. It's a young boy, young shepherd boy named David. 
he believed he could kill a giant. All of the whole army, the whole Jewish army was whimpering and was afraid and was wringing their hands, right? David said, I'll go do it. I'll go fight the guy. <laughs> what is this? Extreme expectations. And I have to read it to you because I love it so much. David said <laughs> to the giant, right? This is what I want you to say to your giant, whatever it is. David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen? I come to you in the name of the Lord, and he will deliver you into my hand. Listen to this little boy. And I will strike you down, and I'll remove your head, and I'll destroy your army, that all the earth may know there is a God. Why should we have extreme expectations, and why should we incarnate them? So everyone in your orbit knows there is a God. They may not like your God. They may not want your God. That's a whole other matter. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, for the battle is God's. Your battle, if you belong to Him, your battle is God's. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Isn't that awesome news? The thing I battle in my heart and mind sometimes, for years, you know, and I finally get it into my head. The battle is not mine. It's not mine. It belongs to my awesome God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. Why am I afraid of anything? Why do I shrink back from anything? Beloved, this is beautiful stuff. <laughs> the text says, and David prevailed. <laughs> <laughs> you will too. In faith, you will prevail. And this is always for Horatio. This one's always for, for Horatio. I, always, I bring it up once or twice a year. King Jehoshaphat. You know why it's for you, right? You know why King Jehoshaphat's for you? Okay, good. You can remember as I recount it. There's a great multitude of enemy soldiers coming toward Judah. Jehoshaphat called out to God in prayer. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God says this, you do not need to fight. <laughs> For the battle is not yours, it's mine. Station yourselves to observe the salvation of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat put the choir in the front. Praise teams out front. This is how confident Jehoshaphat is. This is how extreme his expectations are. He puts the, he puts the, the praise teams out front. <laughs> They'll be slaughtered if God's not faithful, right? The text says, when they began to sing and praise God, the Lord routed the army. Stuff gives me goosebumps, man. If you don't get goosebumps sometimes when you're, when you're reading the Bible, you're not, you're not understanding it. You're not putting yourself in it. God, God means for you to put yourself in it. Put yourself in there. 
with Jehoshaphat, with the praise team, right out front. They're going to be slaughtered. Oh, wait, God's God, and God keeps his promises. Job, you know the story. He lost everything but his cranky old wife. And he struggled mightily. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't struggle, right? The text tells us that in all of this, Job did not sin nor blame God, holding fast to his integrity. And he stood in the storm, and God revealed himself to him in a brand new way. Extreme expectations in the most devastating kind of circumstance. Heart-wrenching, heart-renting kind of circumstance. You know, Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by the hands of the Babylonians. And he said this in Lamentations chapter 3, I have forgotten happiness and my strength has perished. But then he remembered his extreme expectations in the God he loved. Then he said, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. And he says to my soul, therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. In the midst of the on going brutality of the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem. Jeremiah has extreme expectations. Don't you love this? It's Psalm 117. <laughs> I, I hope you never read, praise the Lord again the same way. I hope you just don't read over it like we all, we're all prone to do. I just read over it. What does it really mean? I praise him down in the minutiae of my life. Down into the minutiae of my life. And in every hard thing that God brings into my life. So, let me just close with a couple of God's promises just to encourage you. I usually give these to you once or twice a year. Seems like a good time. Seems like a good time to, to do this. To look at these promises of God that animate our extreme expectations. Why we can be fierce in our believing. Don't, if you want these, just email me and I'll, I'll send you my notes. Don't try to look them up. Just listen. Just, I just want you to listen. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. Man. Therefore I have drawn you with Loving kindness. Jeremiah 32, 40 and 41. God says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. I will not turn away from doing good to you. Is it your worst day ever? Extreme expectations. 
Jeremiah 32, continuing, I will put the fear of me in you. This is the greatest gift of God. If you don't fear God, you don't know God. If, if you're not humble before God, you don't know God. If you don't know He's a consuming fire God, that He's terrifyingly magnificent, and that every man who saw Him in the Bible hit their face as fast as humanly possible, if you don't know He's like that, if you don't have that concept of Him, then you haven't been taught well and you haven't learned well. There's this tension, right, between fearing God and being His friend. And it's a proper kind of tension that we're supposed to be mindful of. You know what Jesus says in John 17, 9. I don't pray for the world. I pray for my people. The Son's praying for you right now. The same thing is said over in Romans 8, 34. The Son intercedes for us. In, in Romans 8, 26, it says the Spirit intercedes for us. <laughs> Extreme expectations. Amen? And then King David, just, I'm just going to give you a montage here quickly. Some things Dave, King David says about God's faithfulness. The Lord is a shield about me. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He will conceal me in the day of trouble. He will lift me up on a rock. He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. He is a very present help in trouble. He is my refuge. He is my tower of strength. He is my rock of habitation to which I continually come. Just a few more. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorites. <laughs> the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who gives victory. <laughs> he will rejoice over you with gladness. Right? He will renew you in His love. He will exalt over you with shouts of joy. Extreme expectations. He expects you to have these in your heart and in your mind because He is who He is and He's promised what He's promised. Are you biblically literate? Extreme expectations. One will follow the other. If you're biblically literate, you will have extreme expectations. A few more Psalms. The Lord takes pleasure in His people. Don't you love that? He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. He delights in the welfare of His servant. <laughs> wow. Beautiful, beautiful promises. And these are just a handful, beloved. These are just a handful Read your Bible. Know your Bible. Be informed by your Bible. Be empowered by the Word of God. You say, Jim, I, I, I really don't, I, just being honest, I really don't have extreme expectations. Well, that's on you if you claim to be a Christian. God has made all of these promises to us. I am with you, He says. I am with you 
Beloved, you get to believe all of this. We get to believe it all. <laughs> we get to believe, and we get to live like we believe it all. We, we get to live like that. It's why we have open hands with God. Right? We have complete open hands with God. Do what you will, Lord. Do what you will. I trust you. Explicitly and implicitly, I trust you. Have your way with me. I know it will go well for me. Yeah, I may get sawn in two. I think it was Isaiah. But that's a minor inconvenience compared to what I have in Christ. Beloved, we get to believe awesome things. I mean, really, really, really awesome things. And I'm just going to close this way. If, if you like, please turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8. I'm just going to pick up at verse 28. Romans 8. I'll pick up at verse 28. I'm just going to read some verses here. You know these famous verses. This is why we have extreme expectations, <laughs> right? Romans 28, beginning there, 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us every good thing? Extreme expectations. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns Christ? Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, somebody, you tell me what your text says. But in all these things, what? Tell me what? We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, right? Extreme expectations, beloved. We overwhelmingly conquer, verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, man, you can just read, you know, it'd be good to memorize it. I'm afraid at my age I wouldn't quite be able to, to, to handle it all. But, but, but from 28 to 39, it'd be good if you got a sharp mind just to memorize it. It's beautiful. Yes, yeah, so God expects us to be fierce in believing. It's Psalm 117. Praise Yahweh. Laud Him, all peoples. 
Praise Yahweh. So, the challenge for you and me. Go do it. It's easy to do it here. Go do it out there. That's, that's, that's the call. Go do it out there. Go live your extreme expectations out there. To the glory of God and to the joy of your soul. Let's pray together.